All right. Here we go on a Sunday morning in Las Vegas. I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here every Sunday morning at 8 on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM at 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights and sister station of Raiders Nation Radio. Me and social media director, Spencer The Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, we are coming to you live from Spencer Studio in Las Vegas, which is also known as the Wiz Den. And producing the show from back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is Chris Magnum Chapman, who is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights radio network. If you are new or have not heard the show in a long while, the reason we are located in different places is because the pandemic that began in March of 2020 continues to keep the majority of us at Fox Sports Radio working remotely. Uh, we're sure that is going to be corrected soon. I keep hearing that. So one day. <laughs> the show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network. And you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Out of Line. That's O-U-T-T-A-L-I-N-E. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Out of Line Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bay Corp Studio line is 702-876-1340. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you can already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company to turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp funding America one neighborhood at a time. And don't forget to ask about the new incredibly discounted payment options on move-in ready Wedgwood homes available right now all over Las Vegas. Call 702-964-5720 for details and to get information on all of the home financing options available in the state of Nevada. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights. Our preseason begins tonight in Colorado and Vegas Golden Knights ringside reporter uh, Ashley Weiss will join us this morning for nightcap. Just just a couple minutes right now. UNLV won a big road game yesterday and are now 3-1. and one. We'll break it down. And the Las Vegas Aces gave us our first major professional sports championship this morning. Aces assistant coach Tyler Marsh and media relations director John Jiggy Maxwell will be joining the show. It's week three in the NFL and the winless Raiders are in Tennessee. We'll be talking all about that. And a new segment starts today. And you will want to wait until you hear it before making your bets. And today is your last chance to see the Las Vegas Aviators at the Las Vegas Ballpark. We'll tell you about that as well. That's what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or refinance a home you currently own, choose a company you can trust. Residential Bay Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. Call 702-964-5720 for details on your home financing options throughout the state of Nevada. Guys, we're not going to waste any time. Let's get right to it. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Actually starts tonight at 6 o'clock, uh, hours away from the beginning of the preseason, the 2022-23 season of the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, first season last year after four straight playoff appearances, first inaugural season, Stanley Cup final appearance, um, the Vegas Golden Knights did not make the playoffs last season, as most of us know. Heavy anticipation on this season. Uh, Jack Eichel about to play his first full season with the Vegas Golden Knights, barring any uh, setbacks or future 
major injuries. Uh, Mark Stone set to start the season uh, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, healthy, hopefully. Um, goaltenders situation still up in the air. That'll be decided over the next couple of weeks as they get ready for the regular season. We'll talk all about today that today. Joining us very shortly, Ashley Weiss, who is the rinkside reporter for Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights you see her all over last year was her first season doing it. Did a great job. Talks all the players. Love to hear what she has to think. And of course, Chris Chapman back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio, the uh, Vegas Golden Knights locker room reporter for Vegas Golden Knights uh, radio network. Uh, Chris, it's here, man. It just seems like the season ended yesterday and we're getting ready to start a new season today. Well, Brian, I'll tell you this. Being in the locker room uh, a little bit this week, I could tell you for these guys, it's like the season did not just end. They've had months to sit and stew and be angry. And it's funny, you know, like like I talked to Chandler Stevenson and he he was pretty frank. He's like, you know, you, you have to hit the reset button, but there's that fine balance between not remembering or, or hitting the reset button and, um, you know, still having a memory of what happens when you don't play up to expectations. Uh, Chandler Stevenson was also very clear. He said, look, you know what? I, I was I was pretty lucky. I played pretty much the entire season. So for me, my offseason is a lot different than a guy like Mark Stone because, you know, he missed so much time last year. So it's, it's you know, it, it's, it's certainly nice that it's back. But I can tell you right now, a lot of the guys are saying the right things as far as where their mindset is at. Like Zach Whitecloud is pretty clear because he was, remember, Zach Whitecloud didn't play as a rookie. I think he actually played one game in that very first season. I think it was the last game of the season. But he... He uh, he signed out of college as a, as a free agent, and he was in the locker room that first year. And he said that the mentality right now is very similar to that year one mentality, where there's a chip on our shoulder, we've got something to prove. So Brian, I mean, yeah, it's it's been a, a it seems like it just ended for us, but for a lot of these players, they've had four or five months to really sit and think about and reflect about last season. They're ready to go. They're gearing to go, and, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, you know, Chris, I, I'm not really buying what Zach Whitecloud's saying. I think that's a moniker that a lot of people usually look for reasons to have a chip on your shoulder. Uh, they'll never have a chip on their shoulder. I don't think anybody ever will like they did that first year. You know, the Vegas Golden Knights in a very unique situation to get really the cream of the crop of every NHL teams beyond the 10 people that were protected, one goaltender, one 10 players. It was an incredible season. It was magical. But they all came in feeling like, wow, my team does want me, especially a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury, who was just lights out for the majority of the time he was here in Las Vegas. And uh, and I, I think it's going to be very difficult to recapture that type of feeling, that type of momentum. So much went on to make all that happen. But And, and also the Vegas Golden Knights. I think most hockey enthusiasts are aware of the fact how many man hours they lost to injury last year on the ice. No team's ever made the playoffs with the amount of hours the Vegas Golden Knights lost injury man hours. So it, it, when you look at it from that perspective, it's not shocking they didn't make the playoffs. And they were in it right up until the last week, as we all know, Chris. But a lot of questions that are going to be answered are, uh, over the next couple of weeks, one of them, like, you know, a simple thing, like, 
who are the four, in your opinion, primary centers? Now, for the first time in history, uh, their history, I should say, their brief five-year history, they without question have a clear number one center, and his name is Jack Eichel. I don't think anyone is going to dispute that. That guy is one not, not only the best on this team, but one of the best in all of the NHL at, at uh, taking face-offs and being a centerman. He will be the guy on the number one line. You know Carlson's going to fit in there somewhere on those first four lines. I'm not sure where. The way Nicholas Waugh played last year, how do you not consider him for maybe the second line, if not for sure the third line? And then you've got the, the grind line, the fourth line of who's going to center that line. And, you know, it is question, Chris, because there's a lot of guys who stepped up that can play the center position. And you wonder, you know, guys along the guys, obviously Chandler Stevenson, who, uh, you know, can, can do a great job in the middle there. Um, you got a guy like, uh, you know, Phil Kessel. Now, he's been a winger most of his career, but, I mean, he could take face-offs. Who do you look at as the top four centermen that are going to start the season for the VGK? Well, through the first couple of days of practice, it, it's, it's been Jack Eichel, Chandler Stevenson, William Carlson, and Nick Waugh. Those have been the the top four centers. Now, the third line, uh, as, as far as what we've seen in practice, it's been William Carlson, Michael Amadio, and Brett Howden. All three are centers yeah. on that on that particular line. So um, that that's a really interesting. You know, I I I, I thought going in it was going to be uh, Jack Eichel and William Carlson as the the, the top two centers. Uh, but it looks like Bruce Cassidy, who obviously knows a lot more about the game than I do, uh, he had different plans, at least through the first three days of training camp. Now we'll see as as things whittle down. A guy I'm, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my eye on because I think he's, he's, he's going to have, and he was having a really good season last year before he got hurt kind of under the radar. I think Brett Howden is a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, if you look at his numbers, in, in he only played, I think, 47 games, but he was averaging about a point every other game. For a guy who was playing primarily on the fourth line, that, that's pretty good. So I, I, I have a feeling that Brett Howden is going to play a pretty big role. And the guy that, that everybody right now seems to really enjoy watching is Zachary Mananen. He's the 30-year-old the that they signed from Finland. I had a chance to talk to him the other day, Brian. He's not a center, uh, but but he's a winger, and he's a little guy, and he can fly. I think fans are really going to enjoy having an opportunity to see him. But, Brian, I, I, I thought it was going to be Eichel and Carlson. Right now it's Eichel and Chandler Stevenson as your top two centers. Yeah, I would agree with that without question. And I think Nick Wah has definitely earned his spot. And, of course, William Carlson, man, one of the original misfits and has earned his place. Uh, we are joined now. Um, Ashley Weiss has uh, has joined the show. Um, Ashley, of course, uh, the ringside reporter, featured on all regionally televised AT&T Sportsnet game broadcast, AT&T Sportsnet behind-the-scenes show, Vegas Golden Knights, she's nightlife, Vegas Golden Knights um, produced digital content. Ashley does just about everything for this team. I know last year was your first year with this team. You got to experience a Stanley Cup run by the St. Louis Blues. You were there with them when they won their first ever Stanley Cup. So how magical was that? And then you get to come to maybe one of the most storied franchises in the history of sports because what the VGK did in, in 2017 is unprecedented. Nobody's ever seen it before, and I don't think we'll ever see it again maybe in our lifetimes. So how cool is that to come from St. Louis to watching that, to coming to a franchise that really has lit up a city? Yeah, it's incredible because when St. Louis won the Cup, it was the first time they had ever won the Cup. It took them 51 years to do it. 
Um, and the fact that now I come to Vegas and also it's Alex Petrangelo, right? He was the captain that lifted that cup for the St. Louis Blues. So, you know, to go from one franchise that took so long to do it, and then, you know, you kind of flip the script, you come to another franchise that has become such a major name in the National Hockey League. They're always considered a contender. You know, even last year they were considered a contender despite all the injuries that looked like up until the very last week they really had a shot at making the playoffs, you know, each of the first five seasons. So uh, it's definitely been amazing. Couldn't love Vegas anymore. Couldn't love the fan base anymore. Uh, and I'm actually really, really excited for what the season has in store. I think we all are here. A lot of anticipation to see what this season brings. Um, you know, fans getting acclimated to hockey here on the West Coast. I'm from Detroit, so I grew up with it my entire life. But to see this town lit up and get educated and acclimated with the National Hockey League was so cool uh, to watch the experience. But last year was a dose of reality. Now, us in the know, people that have been around it, understand when you lose that many man hours due to injury, it is it's almost impossible to be able to make a run in the postseason, especially when you get down to your number three goaltender, a guy who wasn't even really expected to be part of the mix last year. And what a great job Logan Thompson did, made a name for himself and gave himself a great opportunity this year. But again, they missed the playoffs. So very anticlimactic. You got to experience that, Ashley, your first year here. What is it like now? There has got to be, even though all the injuries, the Vegas Golden Knights don't want to make excuses as to why they didn't make the playoffs. So what is it like now? I imagine the intensity is crazy at this point in time no it is for sure I mean it's a situation where they acknowledge what their situation was last season they acknowledge how many injuries they had and then you also had guys playing through injuries right Jack Eichel was playing through a broken thumb for a month and a half of the season and when you have a guy who you want to be a shoot first guy and who's you know expected to be big on the faceoff dot a broken thumb is a pretty big deal what do you think about how you have to grip a hockey stick obviously and then you have a guy like Mark Stone who was battling all season, just wanted so desperately to be able to get back and help his team. But then you have those guys not at 100%, right? And don't get me wrong, uh, Jack Eichel and Mark Stone not at 100%. Uh, most teams would take them any day of the week still, but it just kind of goes to show how much they were battling. But like you said, they're definitely not making excuses. Pretty much everyone that I've talked to, they bring up the injuries, but then they say that's not an excuse. You know, you never know what's going to happen. If that's the situation again this year, uh, which God forbid, hopefully it's not, uh, you know, they don't want to be in the same situation again where they're missing the postseason. Something that I do think that they learned from it was that, you know, there's always a next guy who's able to step up. You saw what the Henderson Silver Knights did last year. A lot of the guys who came up and made big differences, whether you're talking about Jake LeCision, Jonas Rombier, uh, Daniel Mirmanov at times came up and made a difference. So, uh, and Logan Thompson is obviously the big name that you dropped. So, you know, I think that they grew a lot. Uh, they learned to really all play for each other. I can tell you guys like Jonathan Marsh, so uh, are hungry as ever without a doubt. And I think Nick Wall used the word humbling uh, when he talked about what last season meant to him and what he learned from it so you know you called it a dose of reality maybe maybe that is the case uh whatever way you slice it uh they're definitely ready to get going though and are not looking to miss the postseason again not only that but they think that they really do have one of if not the best rosters in the national hockey league 
No question about it. The big question with the Vegas Golden Knights this year, and we can broach that now, is obviously between the pipes. I mean, you know, Robin Leonard obviously going to be out for the entire season. Marc-Andre Fleury, I think one day in the not-so-distant future, there will be a statue erected of him outside of T-Mobile Arena, and justifiably so. He has been the ambassador to hockey in Las Vegas, and uh, and as much as people didn't understand the business end of it when Marc-Andre Fleury departed a year ago, I understand stood it. I brought it up before it happened saying it just made sense at that time for him and for the town to move on, but he'll never be forgotten here. But that being said, when you leave a legacy like that behind you, it's what a tough job to replace him. And Robert, Robin Leonard, uh, given that dubious task, and we know uh, it has been a difficult transition for Leonard. Now he's out this year. Logan Thompson maybe is not as much pressure because, you know, he was kind of thrown into the mix. But now, 20 games last year, he did a very admirable job. Someone is expected to step up between the pipes, whether it's Aiden Hill, whether it's Logan Thompson, whether it's Laurent Brossois, somebody has got to take that position because the bottom line, as you mentioned, Ashley, this team is built right now to win a Stanley Cup. But again, the most important position we've seen in the history of the playoffs is your last line of defense is the most important when it gets to the postseason. And the last line of defense is your goaltender in the National Hockey League. And we have seen good goaltenders go bad. And we have seen teams like the LA Kings a few years back with Jonathan Quick go from winning their way into the playoffs in the last day of the season to winning the Stanley Cup because that guy refused to let a puck in the net. That can happen. Is there somebody you see on this Vegas Golden Knight team that can step up and maybe play 50, 55 games this year and give this team an opportunity? Yeah, and I saw the question pop up, the fan comment there about how he's puzzled why why Logan Thompson isn't just given the number one opportunity, right? Yeah, there's a comment that we're seeing right there. Uh, Something that I think should be cleared up is that in no way are Bruce Cassidy and the coaching staff saying, Logan Thompson didn't earn it last year. They are completely aware of what Logan Thompson came in and did at the end of the season. Um, And I do believe that they are viewing it as that he deserves that opportunity, right? Uh, These first few days of training camp, Bruce Cassidy has said the evaluation process doesn't start until exhibition games. And that starts tonight. Whoever uh, will be in the net will find that out at about 1030 this morning. Um, But he also said that there's no way in two weeks, it's going to take more than two weeks to know who the starting goaltender is going to be. So I guess the biggest thing to clear up is that they aren't writing off Logan Thompson at all. It is important to keep in mind that uh, Aiden Hill also had a breakout season in San Jose. He was injured, uh, but he played more games than he'd ever played in his NHL career as well. And he played very strong. And then Bersois did come in multiple times uh, last season during Robin Leonard's injuries. And he showed what he could do as well before he was injured. So, you know, Bruce Cassidy said, this is a situation where the door is open uh, and that internal competition can be a good thing. I think it's even a good thing for Logan. I think Logan plays well when there's a chip on his shoulder. He plays well when he feels like he has something to prove. I think that's why he came in at the end of last year and played as good as he did because he was given that opportunity and he wanted to prove himself. So I think it's important that no one thinks that Logan Thompson is getting written off. Um, all three goaltenders have a very good relationship. Uh, Bruce Cassidy has brought up multiple times how important Logan Thompson was to this team at the end of that season. So everyone recognizes that. Uh, As far as your concern, just about, you know, if you want to call it lack of experience and the goaltenders being the last line of defense, you're definitely right about it being the last line of defense. However, Bruce Cassidy's system is very goaltender friendly in that uh, he plays a very strong defensive system. He does not want his team giving up grade A's, grade A opportunities. 
Um, he cuts that to be as few grade A opportunities as possible. So if that makes anyone feel any better, uh, this system, you know, these goaltenders might not be facing as much as they have been previously. Uh, but, you know, I think it's actually going to be a really good situation. I think it's going to be fun to watch. Um, and, you know, maybe maybe we come out of the season and there isn't a clear starter. Maybe it is more of a 50-50 split between goaltenders. Who knows? But, you know, worst case scenario, you have a couple good goaltenders in your organization and that competition never stops and everyone benefits from some internal competition. No, no question about it. I think it's going to be fun to watch it pan out, and hopefully somebody will step up to be a guy that can be number one. And like you said, if you've got if you goaltender by committee, as long as they both play well and they understand and accept that role, that can work. It has worked for some teams in the past, but I think everyone feels more comfortable when there's one guy that steps up and just takes that position. Again, we are talking this morning uh, with Ashley Vice. Uh, she is the Vegas Golden Knights ringside reporter. You see her all the time, does a great job of that. Ashley, you mentioned, uh, you know, one of the things that in professional sports and maybe no more no more example of that than the National Hockey League is the changing of the guards as coaches. They move on. Here you are, your second season, second coach already. You know, you saw last year with Pete DeBoer, um, a totally different style with Bruce Cassidy. What do you see the players, how are they taking to Bruce Cassidy and the difference between the coaching style of Pete DeBoer and Bruce Cassidy? You know, you notice a lot of differences just at practice and simply the way practices are run. Now, part of this might be because Bruce Cassidy is coming in and he has three days to implement all of his new systems and that's it before exhibition games start, right? But um, last year, you might see players, you know, taking breaks, going over to the whiteboard, breaking down uh, what they've done in the first few drills, what they're going to do in the next drills. Bruce Cassidy is a little bit different in that his, um, all of his practices are super fast-paced. Um, they've all been super high tempo. And again, that might just be him coming in and really trying to get an idea of what these guys are made of. Uh, he's talked about how he's interested to see who drops off as camp goes on in terms of endurance, because the first few practices, you know, were very physically demanding. They were very high pace. Um, but I think something that the guys have really enjoyed with Bruce Cassidy, and this is not to say that they didn't enjoy Pete DeBoer's teaching style, but multiple guys have brought up Bruce Cassidy's teaching style and the way that he's slowly integrating things in, uh, the way that he's showing video before practice, then they take a break while they clear the ice, they show more video, and then they go back out. Um, he's worked from the D zone out. So day one was all D zone coverage and breakouts day two was mostly neutral zone and then yesterday they started working on their forecheck and their offensive zone system so um they really feel like his teaching style has been has been good um i think everyone is on the same page from the coaching staff through the leaders of the team that what they want to do is they want to get back to being a really difficult team to play play against they want to be relentless and i think every coach wants to be relentless right but right now you're really getting the sense that that buy-in is there from everyone and I think that's really what stood out to the Vegas Golden Knights or stood out about the Vegas Golden Knights to the rest of the National Hockey League those first few years was that it was never going to be an easy night when you were playing Vegas and I think that's what everyone wants to get back to. Ashley, I won't put you on the spot and ask you for a prediction on the, on the, on the team this year. What I will ask you, though, because I'm asked all the time, what is it going to take for the Vegas Golden Knights to have success this year? I say two things. And, uh, you know, not, first and foremost, it is going to be avoiding injury. And secondly, it's going to be the, between the nets, my opinion. What would you add to that that is going to take for the Golden Knights to be successful this year? You know, it's not an X's and O's things, but I really think it's about just getting that swagger back. Again, it was 
you know, that misfit mentality year one, I don't think that's something you can ever replicate because it was such a special situation and such a special season for this team, for the city, for this community, all of that. But just getting back to that hard to play against people write us off. They're all saying they have something to prove. We're getting, we're as close to that identity as we've been since we saw in year one. So I think just having that swag or something else, I think it was Chandler Stevenson, something he said to me that he learned from last year is that they were never out of a game. There were so many times that it felt like this team was going to be eliminated from the playoffs. It felt for about three weeks, like, oh, they're not going to make it. Oh, but they won this game and this person lost and they're back in. So I think that they learned from that. I think that they learned, you know, that they do still have that edge to them. And, you know, maybe that maybe they could have made it last year if they would have embraced that, if they would have had that swagger that they had year one last year, and they would have had that confidence. And maybe if they would have realized earlier that, hey, we're not out of this thing, right? So I really think it's all about that. I think it's getting back to that attitude of being hard to play against, being relentless, and just having that swagger. Everyone wants everyone to be scared when they come into T-Mobile Arena. And I think with Bruce Cassidy's style of play, uh, along with how the roster looks on paper, I think that might be the case again this season. Uh, very well said. Once again, Ashley Vice, uh, the ringside reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights. We really appreciate you taking time out. Uh, we're going to get a, our first taste of the Vegas Golden Knights today as they play the reigning Stanley Cup champion, uh, Colorado Avalanche, in their first preseason game. Really appreciate you taking the time out, Ashley. Of course. And, Brian, I have to apologize. I was sitting in the waiting room for a while, and I, it, I, I guess I didn't hit enter the chat room. So I apologize if you guys were filling time for me to come on. But thanks for having me, and catch the game tonight on KTNB. Looking forward to it. Once again, Ashley Weiss, uh, Vegas Golden Knights ringside reporter. And Spence, we got the next ones up. We're, we're going to go right to uh, uh, our next Weiss. And if you don't know right now, uh, the Las Vegas Aces, uh, and I don't know how you don't know, but they gave Las Vegas their first ever major professional sports championship this past week. It was so cool to watch. Um, to see a parade in Las Vegas for a professional sports team is something that I know people around here have waited for for a long, long time. It was amazing how many people turned out for that. A short track from Caesars to the Bellagio, you would have never known it. It looked like a lot, entire Las Vegas Boulevard was uh, was closed down. It was, it was really, really a cool thing to see. And joining the show right now, we have the Las Vegas uh, Aces media director, John Jiggy Maxwell, who's been with the team since the inception here in Las Vegas, and uh, assistant coach, who I guess is a new father, who I'm really happy is joining the team, uh, Tyler Marsh, who, by the way, is, I don't know of anyone else that has won championships in the G League, the NBA, and now the WNBA. That's got to be a first, so pretty cool. Appreciate the two of you guys getting up on a Sunday morning after a week of celebration in Las Vegas. Jiggy, let's start with you, man. I appreciate you getting this all together for us. Um, how cool is this? You know, you've been waiting for this since 2018. This team was built. They kept tweaking things to get it to where it is now. The right coach, the right players in place. And I got to tell you something, man, from a, stand, a fan standpoint, that was an incredible run and so much fun to watch. Yeah, it was equal parts exhilarating and exhausting. Uh, but to your point, it has been a five-year run, not just for the Aces, but for the city since the VGK came, since we, uh, the Raiders came to town. It's been, all right, who's going to win that first professional sports championship in Las Vegas? I'm excited that it was us. I'm excited that it was this group. Uh, the build, to your point, was year by year. And we finally got over the, the top of the mountain, uh, thanks to Becky Hammond, Tyler Marsh, Natalie Nakase, uh, Charlene Thomas-Swinson, our assistant coaches, 
all did a fantastic job. And of course, I mean, Asia Wilson and Chelsea Gray coming up huge in the postseason. There's so many great memories from this this year that just continue to pop into my head throughout the course of of the past several days as you look back on what this team accomplished. Oh, no question about it. It it was incredible the way that they stepped up and just took command. And the little the few setbacks they have, the following game was just an entirely different team. It's like they motivated themselves. And, you know, I think that starts with the team's leader. Of course, Becky Hammond, his coach, and Asia Wilson as not only the team captain, but really the face of the WNBA. Tyler, you know, people might say, coming from the NBA, why would you make a decision to come and be an assistant coach in the WNBA? I think I know the reason why, but tell people why you made that decision because, you know, a lot of people say, well, wait a minute, what are you doing, man? Yeah, I think uh, first and foremost, I think that, uh, you know, a little bit too much gets made about that transition. It's, to me, it was more so, you know, you're going from coaching the best men in the world to coaching the best women in the world. They're still elite at what they do. The game is still the same. Um, and, and these women are superstars. They've earned what they have and they earn it quite frankly, even more than what they get. Um, but for me, it was about being purposeful. Um, I wanted to uh, be part of something that was that was big, be part of something, that a vision and um, an idea that, uh, that not just started with Becky, but started with uh, with owner Mark Davis and Nikki Fargus and kind of just worked his way down. Uh, this was something, part a chance to be part of something special. I believe in what Becky um, wanted to accomplish and, and wanted to set forth and, um, set in motion with this team and um you know again it was about being purposeful being in a position where everyone wants to be wanted everyone wants to feel valued uh, and everyone wants to be part of something great and that's what i saw with this opportunity in vegas yeah, it, it was pretty cool. And real quickly, just to interject, uh, I really appreciate taking time out this morning. A brand new father. How blessed are you, man? Three championships in three different leagues. Uh, you get a, a WNBA championship, the first pro- major professional championship in the history of Las Vegas, of all places, and a father in the same week. Pretty cool. It's amazing. Uh, and, you know, ironically, each each one of those championships happened in in the first year, um, first year of the G League was championship, first year in the NBA was championship, and the first year in the WNBA was a championship. So I've been uh, extremely blessed to be a part of some uh, amazing staffs with some great coaches. And uh, most importantly, you know, those things don't work without great players. So uh, I've been blessed in that respect. And then, you know, as big as those wins are, nothing, nothing was a bigger win than uh, the welcoming our son into the world a few days ago. So um, it's I've been extremely blessed. I couldn't read this story any better myself. Well, congratulations uh, on being another father. I was a new grandfather less than a year ago, so got to feel that all over again. Really cool. Uh, You know, Toronto, you saw them get their first NBA championship. Internationally, I mean, it was just incredible. Really cool. Uh, uh, The play of Kawhi Leonard throughout the playoffs was absolutely unbelievable that year. But really a cool thing. And now this in Vegas. Um, What was it like seeing a first in both those leagues where they happened at? It's great because, you know, Toronto, you, you kind of think of more so even the country of Canada, more so of being a hockey place. They're, they're huge on the Maple Leafs in Toronto, but um, the way that that city and that country got behind um, the Raptors that year was amazing to see. And uh, it's, it's very similar to, to how Vegas got behind us as uh, with the Aces this year. It's just, um, you love to see that kind of support, not just for the city, but for the league itself. I think that 
um, you know, looking down the road two, three, four, five years later, um, people are going to see just just how special this was outside of Vegas and what this did for the WNBA. I think the, the way that our, our ladies came together, the way that um, Becky kind of allowed them to be themselves, and you got to kind of see that on a grand stage in a way that um, not too many teams have been able to showcase that in the league um, previously. No, you know, and what, what's so cool about this is you saw the parade, you saw the enthusiasm, and, you know, such a bummer, not to bring up something so dark from the past, but the loss of Kobe Bryant and the advocate he was for the WNBA, there was some concern, like, who's going to pick up the ball and run with it? And the Aces winning the championship now, you see the excitement, and it's. I just think it's going to, I think it's going to speak exponentially for the league as it goes on with the Aces winning this first championship. Jiggy, I got to tell you, man, it's been it's been so cool watching this run and seeing the emergence and uh, Asia Wilson. We always knew what a great basketball player she was coming out of South Carolina. You knew she was going to be special in the WNBA, but to see her morph into the league's best player and the leadership that she brings to this squad. Then you add Becky Hammond to the mix, somebody who, uh, you know, coached in the NBA, the, the first female assistant coach, unbelievable job she did up there to have a guy like Greg Popovich talk about her the way he does. You know, people will say, well, Phil Jackson's the goat. People might argue Greg Popovich is the goat. So to get that for Becky Hammond, it's unreal. What is the difference? What has she brought to this team? And not to take anything away from what Bill Lambeer did, a tremendous NBA player as well as a great coach in the history of the WNBA but Becky Hammond seems to have brought something a little different what was the big difference Jiggy and in, in, in Bill Ambeer to Becky Hammond yeah I think they're actually a little more similar than a lot of people may uh, may know uh, they both are very honest with their players you're, you're not going to have to guess what they're thinking uh, at all um, the biggest difference is obviously the style of play I think we became a much more open offense uh, the three-pointer we were allergic to it for the first four years. Bill was a pounded inside kind of a coach. Particularly when you have somebody like a Liz Cambage on the team, it made sense to do that. Uh, but when the, with Becky coming in, it just opened everything up a lot more. It, and it let players' personalities show, I think, as well. It looked like at a Kelsey Plum, what she was able to do. Jackie Young's improvements pretty much across the board. Everybody stepped up their games this year. Uh, and we needed them to because we had some injuries uh, on occasion that slowed some things down. So... Uh, just letting the players be themselves in that regard, I think, was the biggest change. They they looked more comfortable uh, on the court this year. Uh, when we had adversity, they didn't uh, they didn't succumb to it. They didn't let it get themselves down. Asia had I think like an eight point game in the playoffs, shook it off and came back and had five straight games of twenty plus points, ten plus rebounds. Uh, whereas in the past, we all might have gotten into our heads a little bit uh, and let it affect us from game to game. I think the ability to shake off a rough game. Uh, also changed a little bit this year. No question about it. And I, I think, you know, you know, no, you know, I, one of the biggest changes I think we all saw this year, the most improved player in the WNBA, Jackie Young. And, you know, no question the Olympics and winning the three on three gold medal with her, her ACES teammate, Kelsey Plum, definitely helped her confidence but it really seems that Becky Hammond has been able to bring out the best and as you said John the opening up the game more and and giving her more confidence and letting her take that role as a, a point guard and a leader on the team at times and 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 that to me was something that really because without Jackie Young throughout the season I don't know that the Aces get as far as they go and an unsung hero but the person I want to talk about and I think you know 
Chelsea Gray, I mean, ever since not getting put on the All-Star team, you talk about, we were just talking about, you know, prior to uh, you guys having on, you know, Ashley uh, talking about the misfits and the mentality they had and, and how they played with a chip on their shoulder. Holy cow. I've never seen anyone play with a chip on their shoulder like Chelsea Gray. Her ability is uncanny. Her, her shot making in the clutch is as good as I've ever seen at any level in any sport. How cool for both of you was it to watch her just really step up and every time you needed a big shot. I think we were all hoping get the ball to Chelsea Gray. She's going to make it. It was amazing guys. Yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've never seen really anything like, like it. Uh, the poise that she plays with, she's an extension of, of Becky on the floor. And, you know, a lot gets made of the, of the timely shots that she hits in the clutch. And she is probably the most clutch in the game, uh, maybe on both sides, men or women. Um, but the thing that kind of gets overlooked sometimes is, is the, um, her ability to draw charges, um, her willingness to draw charges. That's something you don't see from, um, you know, too often from somebody of that caliber, from a superstar like that. And she is a superstar. Um, and, you know, she's able to get her hands on loose balls. And she does a lot of the little things for the team that, that goes unnoticed because of how big the shots that she hits are. Um, but each series, whether it was Phoenix, Seattle, uh, or Connecticut, she's made some key defensive plays as well. So she's efficient on both sides of the ball. And some of the things that you guys might not see watching uh, on TV, but she's in the huddle. She's the most vocal. She's in there. She's leading. Sometimes there's not even a word said by the coaching staff. She'll run straight to the sideline. She'll take the clipboard from Becky, and she's the one coaching in the huddle. So uh, it's instances like that that make her re really, really special. Toughness, John. I mean, when I, when I think of her toughness and intensity, I mean, something that, you know, you wish for at every sport. You want somebody like the Chelsea Gray on your team that, you know, I, I think of the movie The Replacements and Gene Hackman. You know, what do you want to do? I want the ball. Winners always do. She is a winner and she always wants the ball. So cool to see it. And I think as Tyler alluded to, the toughness and the willingness to take a charge. Well, she grew up with her brothers knocking her around and she really learned the game playing a against boys and uh she is as tough as anyone i've seen play this game at any level man or woman uh just pound for pound chelsea gray is something special uh i, I was she the x factor this year to you john i mean i would say absolutely uh she played better than i think any I mean, I don't, better than anyone's ever played in a postseason i mean 60 percent from the field almost 60 percent from three-point range that uh, fadeaway uh, jumper of hers in the lane became almost like Kareem Skyhook. Like you couldn't block it. If she was going to shoot it, it was going to go in. Um, just And the, to, to do it over that many games, it wasn't like, hey, she stepped up big in a game. It was the entire postseason. Uh, the Seattle, I mean, the Seattle series, that one game was just ridiculous. The number, the 11 points scored uh, down the stretch in that game that helped us uh, defeat Seattle. But she play, had played a role in every single game. And to the charges thing, she does get, what is it, 50 bucks per charge? Is that what we give out, Coach? So there's a little bit of an additional incentive for taking those charges. And every time she takes a charge, if you notice, she does look over to the bench to make sure that somebody recorded it so she can get her money. <laughs> I absolutely love that. And finally, guys, can't let you go without this. And I don't look at this as anything negative. I look at it as a real positive thing. Um, 
the rumor mill has it. Uh, Becky Hammond will be the first female head coach in the National Basketball Association. I, I think it's a matter of time. I think she has absolutely stepped up. I think she has the respect of everyone in basketball, men or women. And I think she's the perfect person to make this transition and do something that the NBA is going to maybe be the first league to do, the first men's professional major sport league to do, and that is hire a woman as a professional head coach. Uh, some people think it could happen as early as next year with Popovich getting up there, the rumor San Antonio. I'm not starting anything here other than we all have heard it. What do you guys have to say about that? Tyler, I'll start with you. John, you can kick in after that. Yeah, I think that, you know, if, if that did happen down the road, I think she would be, you know, I don't know if there's a more qualified candidate outside of her. Um, I think that, you know, if you were to ask her today, I think that uh, she's extremely content at where she's at. Um, she loves what we're building here in Vegas and, you know, with our with our core, um, our core group returning next year, uh, we're not really we're not going anywhere. So um, the Aces are still going to be a force moving forward, and we still have a, uh, a few more championships we'd like to get and to add. Um, so I think everyone's looking side, looking forward and, and is excited for what's to come. John, yeah, Coach, you still got seven more fingers that need rings. So let's <laughs> let's stick around for a little while. Uh, I think also people don't really understand. Like, there's a, a quality of life. Uh, decision that gets made in these situations as well. I mean, she's got two young children and you can spend more quality time with them uh, given the WNBA's schedule. Uh, and that goes into it a little bit. Uh, and then the other nice thing is that Becky may have been the first assistant coach in the NBA, but she has definitely not been the last. There's a number of incredibly qualified candidates out there now. So it's not just people talking about Becky. Even Candace Dupree just got hired by pop in San Antonio as an assistant coach. So the number of people who will get that opportunity, if Becky doesn't break that glass ceiling, it, it will be broken at some point uh, here before too long. And whether it's her or not, she's definitely the one who paved the way for a number of players and uh, to be able to have that opportunity. So uh, everybody owes her quite a bit of great, the debt of gratitude and Greg Popovich for helping her open that door. Talking with Tyler Marsh and John Jiggy Maxwell, Las Vegas Aces, and guys, really, really cool. Uh, you know that this championship—it has been nothing short of spectacular for all of us here in Las Vegas to have this first uh, championship ever brought here. And uh, you know, Becky Hammond, great job. And the one thing's for sure, she will be coaching the Aces this next season. And I think everyone's going to start talking real soon. You, you know, you don't get much time to enjoy this right away. It's going to be back to back. And I, I think we need a poster of like Asia Wilson and Chelsea Plum. Uh, or Kelsey Plummer and Chelsea Gray all standing back to back. And uh, and because I think that the Aces have a great chance at repeating, although there's a lot of things that have to fall into place. But right now, let's enjoy this guy's great job. And we really appreciate taking the time out and joining the show this morning. Thank you Thanks, very Brian. much. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Once again, John Jiggy Maxwell and uh, Tyler Marsh of the Las Vegas Aces. So cool. Guys, listen, we're a few minutes away. We're going to um, we're going to go into we've got a new segment coming up in a little bit. It's called Pick and Parlay. We're going to give you a new handicapper in town, a guy that I've gotten recently acquainted with. And I've been listening to his picks over the last couple of weeks before having him on the show. He has been very successful. So we're going to start it today. So if you haven't made a bet yet, stick around, listen to what he has to say. His name is Scoop and it's called Pick and Parlay. It'll come your way in about uh, nine minutes from right now real quick before we get to that i just wanted to quickly say and chris uh we'll keep this brief but we got to give unlv their due yesterday they go to utah state the defending mountain west champions and they beat them you got a quarterback there that uh last year was lights out a transfer from arkansas state 
he has looked terrible this year. Now, granted, they lost to Alabama, but they also lost to Weber State, and now they've lost to UNLV. This is a Utah State team that is kind of reeling. A little bit of surprise. I don't think anyone, everyone expected them to be really good this year. A quarterback that's got six years of experience, 24 years old, and five INTs yesterday. Listening to Caleb trying to be as politically correct. He didn't want to rip the kid apart based on the success he's had in the past, but he was flat out lousy. And I, and also, let's give UNLV credit. They they were, they were pretty damn good. Five interceptions is really good. And again, Doug Brumfield, not a lights-out game, but no interceptions. Th- accounted for three touchdowns, one through the air, one on the ground. I think we've established, or I should say UNLV has established uh, their number one running back uh, right now, a guy that can carry the ball and get it done. But Mags, what do you think? Do we make a lot of this win, or do we say, you know what, Utah State is one and three. Let's wait and see. Don't don't jump on this bandwagon quite yet. No, jump on the bandwagon. This is a good football team, and anyone who's watched the offense play knows that they're a good football team. Uh, look, Utah State had an embarrassing loss at home to Weber State, as you mentioned. They had two weeks to prepare for this UNLV team, and the UNLV offense put up 34 points in this game, and I think you can make the argument that they probably left some points on the field because two possessions ended inside the 10-yard line, so they ended up kicking field goals. Daniel Gutierrez was automatic in this game. Look, Brian, I I think people, look, this team has a real chance to be 4-1. and They're going to play New Mexico Friday night at home. It's a late kickoff, so there's no excuse. People should be able to get out there. It's a Friday night. This is a good football team, Brian. They're, They're... I, I, I thought the key was something Marcus Arroyo said, and he said, look, we didn't play the perfect game. We played a good enough game. I think this team could be better. I really do. And defensively, I, I, I think they, they had the one sack, and on the only sack of the night they had, uh, Logan Bonner form of the football, UNLV recovered. So six turnovers created by that UNLV defense. This is a fun team to watch. Doug Brumfield, like I said last week, he's our, he's – He's arguably the best quarterback I've seen at UNLV since Jason Thomas, and that's not a knock on, on on guys like Caleb Herring or Omar Clayton, who are both pretty good quarterbacks in their own right. But, Brian, they, they can pound the ball. Now, the big thing for me, they had two wide receivers leave the game yesterday injured. It's a deep group, but I think losing, if, if Kyle Williams, and it looked like a pretty nasty injury, and, and Jeff Weimer, if they're both going to be out significant time, that obviously changes the game plan and what Marcus Arroyo can do. With, with his wide receivers, but hopefully those two guys are, are, are healthy quick and the Rebels are able to get them back in the lineup because Kyle Williams was awesome in the first half yesterday. He had a 40-yard reception that I think if Brumfield's pass has a little more touch on it, it, it probably goes for a touchdown. And then he, he he had a touchdown reception. So, so yeah, get out there, watch this team. Get on the bandwagon. This is, this is a good football team, Brian. It's going to be interesting. I think they got a really good matchup in a game they should win on Friday night against New Mexico. Four and one for UNLV. When is the last time we said that? It's been a long time. And I agree with you 100%. Chris Wynn uh, chimed in and, and talked about Brumfield being a dual threat. I agree 100%. Guys, I'm not by any means saying this guy's going to play football at the next level at this point. But what I will say is, Doug Brumfield, you add a few pounds to this guy. He has an NFL body. I will say that. And, uh, he definitely is a cerebral quarterback. He makes the proper decisions, the proper reads. And I, I, Chris, I'm not going to disagree with you. He's as good a quarterback as I've seen in a while. I don't want to rip on my former coast by saying he's better, but uh, I'll tell you what, he's at least as good. I'll say that. And um, 
I'm excited to see the ceiling of Doug Brumfield and where he can go. And again, yeah, I do agree. They need to make sure their receiving core is healthy, but I like the running game. I like the receiving game and I really like the improvement on the defensive side of the ball. Surprising and good. And a guy like, like, like a Noel Williams. I mean, my God, this guy's, uh, you know, just really good. I really like this team and I like what I'm seeing from them and get out there. As Chris said, Friday night, jump on the bandwagon and check out this team guys. A couple more minutes. I want to quickly switch over to the bones and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, of course they lose to Arizona last week at Allegiant stadium, a game 20 to nothing at halftime. I, if there's ever been a game of two halves and they say every game is two different games, the first, and second half, this was one of them. Derek Carr in the first half proficient looked good hitting on a lot of, third and longs you don't want as a as um josh mcdaniel said in the press conference you don't want to put your quarterback in a position to have to completely complete third and longs but he was doing it in the first half in the second half he couldn't get first downs killing his wide receivers and the end of the game yes the fumble was hunter renfro's fault but it was the pass of Derek carr that set up the fumble by not throwing the ball where hunter renfro could get it out in front of him and see what's coming his way um after the game, I had a chance to talk to Josh McDaniel in the press conference, and I actually asked him about Derek Carr's play. And I'm going to tell you flat out, I'm going to say right now, I don't think he was honest about his play. I wasn't asking him to throw his quarterback under a bus. Maybe it sounds like I was. I just wanted him to be real. And he said that Derek Carr played good. But here's here's that question after after uh, the game on last, uh, last Sunday. Derek Carr had a rough uh, week last week. Had a real proficient first half, was making some good passes, as you said, making converting third and long. In the second half, it looked like a completely different player. Any idea what changed with him and his rhythm? And yeah, his... nothing with Derek. Derek, Derek played fine. Um, <clears throat> you know, we we got to do better around him in the second half. Um, you know, to put the quarterback in a third and long situation and ask him to overcome it on his own, you know, certainly isn't a good formula for success. So. I thought Derek played a good football game today. You know, we, we again, we got to do more to help, you know, those situations uh, in the second half than what we did. In the first half, we played the game basically the way we wanted to, uh, ahead on the down and distance, and, you know, we were more aggressive. We could be more aggressive because of the down and distance was in our favor, but we lost control of that a little bit in the second half for sure. I got to ask you real quick, uh, you know, the, the question I'm never going to ask a coach, I want to keep my media credential, but I was about to ask him, were you watching the same game that I was? Because, Spencer, how do you say Derek Carr played good, which is an exact quote from him? How does he say that? Uh, he, I guess because he's a coach and he's paid to say that. That's a, that's pretty much the only answer I can give you, Brian. I mean, as a Raiders fan, it was very frustrating but not surprising. I guess that's probably the best way I can describe it to you. This is uh, what the Raiders do. It's what Derek Carr, that's been the, the, the trope of his career, right? When they need him the most – He's not there. And this was yet again another one of those moments where Derek Carr in the second half, thinking back to the last home game in Oakland against the Jaguars, too. He's just had this is just the thing that mars his career. What keeps him from being from just being okay to being good. This is it. This is every single year. This is what happens. I can't disagree with you. I mean, his stats say that he gets the job done more, maybe more than he doesn't. But I think when the game is on the line, because he's always he, down, that's he why he has so doesn't. Many a guy that got the job done last Sunday. Kyler Murray, and I got a chance to talk to him after the game. You're talking about an amazing second-half comeback that went to overtime, and Kyler Murray got the job done when he had to, and I talked to him a little bit after the game as well. Kyle, what, what was the turning point in that game in your mind where all of a sudden you look and say, wow, we really can come back and win this game? Uh, 
that defense just kept getting stops. You know, they, we got we got to play complimentary football. They kept getting stops, um, and, and we got to have their back. You know, it's a, a complete team effort today. Um, you know, I'm just proud, proud of how we fought. Proud of you know, proud to be able to come over here and um, you know get a W against a great team, a good team. You ever been a part of a game like that? I mean, they say there's two. You know, games are two different halves, and obviously two games, but. That was as two di as different a halves as you're going to see. Yeah, I mean, if you will, I think they said fourth largest comeback or something like that, largest comeback in Cardinals history or something like that. Um, you look around the league, I think there was what, th three comebacks today. It was crazy, um, you know, uh, scenarios that ended up, um, you know, reversing for the other team that was down. But uh, man, I was just like I said, I was proud to be able to come out and get a W. It's crazy how he can barely see over the podium. He even said, made a joke when he first walked into. They got a shorter podium, but um, you know, Kyler Murray, the biggest and only knock on him is his size, and that's why he wears down at the end of the season. And the Cardinals tend to, in his careers to this point, have more success early on. This year, I think the Cardinals are in a lot of trouble. But that was a huge win for him, and it was so much fun watching Kyler Murray play that game. Listen, we got a brand new segment. I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get right to it. It's called Pick and parlay with scoop and there's my buddy scoop who got me into an ice bath yesterday still feeling good about that today scoop and uh listen uh first of all quickly give your background uh you know he's going to be he's setting up a becoming a um sports handicapper the last couple weeks he's given me a few picks he did really good on the thursday night game almost called it exactly with the cleveland win over pittsburgh scoop we don't have a lot of time quickly a little bit about yourself and uh, give us our pick and our parlay today so people can get out there and make some bets so uh, I came from Cincinnati, Ohio, out to Vegas, and um, been doing my thing for about five years now. This last uh, six months or so, I've been getting a little momentum going and meeting good guys like you. So uh, let's not waste any more time. Pick number one for the day is going to be Green Bay. Um, we're going to have a little bit of an energy shift, I believe. Tom Brady, a man who's been aligned with the universe in his life, having a little bit of troubles at home, having some wide receiver cluster injuries. Offensive line hasn't been the same, especially up the middle. And um, this offense, they've had 24 trips, 24 offensive possessions so far this year, four trips to the red zone, just really struggling to move the ball. And I believe this Green Bay defense is for real. Uh, Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith on the edge can really set the edge as far as stopping the run. And those are the type of teams that really give, uh, you know, this Tampa Bay running game some fits. So Green Bay is going to be my number one play. We're going to uh, throw that also in a parlay for you. And uh, with you being a Detroit guy and me being on the fence, I think we have to throw that Detroit line, Detroit Lions money line in there as well. Um, we're also going to go with my hometown uh, homer pick as well with Cincinnati, as well as a couple other ones that I really like. Um, I've gravitated towards more money lines in, in recent years when, when I think a team's going to win. I'll play it more often. Um, Atlanta, uh, the Rams. San Fran and KC. So total, it's going to be a seven-team parlay. Green Bay, Cincinnati, Detroit, Atlanta, the Rams, San Fran, and KC. Check that out. A seven-teamer for your first time around. That is ballsy. I appreciate it. Uh, once again, that is the scooper, AJ Scoop, on his social media handles. And uh, Scoop, we appreciate you. On the golf course, he's known as Clutch McGinty. And I'll have to tell you about that on another uh, show. We've got a little bit more time. But we appreciate you. We're looking at that. Remember the pick, the number one pick. He's going against the Bucks and taking Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. And uh, he is also taking a 17 parlay. Check out the podcast for that. Uh, we'll, we'll check out your picks next week, and we'll have two one, more for you. One quick thing. Look for Aaron Jones to become a household superstar today. 
There you go. Fantasy people, if you've got Aaron Jones in your roster, make sure you're playing him. That is Austin the Scooper. We appreciate you. And again, that is Pick and Parley, a new segment on the show. We'll see how that does. I'm going to bet it right after the show. Listen, we're just about out of time. I also want to mention the Las Vegas Aviators' last home game of the season is today, 12.05. If you haven't been to the Las Vegas ballpark to see the game, today is your last chance. Uh, get out there, man. It is great. The weather is going to be a beautiful day, perfect day for baseball. I'm Brian Feldman. I want to thank all of our guests today. Of course, Ashley Vice, uh, the, um, the reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio or Television, I should say, does a tremendous job with them. want to thank Tyler Marsh and John Jiggy Maxwell, Austin the Scooper, Chris Magnum back, Chapman back in studio, and, of course, Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski here with me. I'm Brian Feldman. This is Out of Line, and we will be back next week, same time, same place. For now, bye-bye.